I'd asked T.J. Watt about something else completely. And he was the one who changed the subject to the Bears false starting on virtually every snap Monday night. Consider it a, a snap on TJ's part as well. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into hockey and or baseball. I also offer up daily shots of Penguins and Pirates right where you found this. TJ Watt has every right to be livid over what the Bears were doing at the tackle positions at Heinz Field the other night. Because if it isn't discussed, if it isn't made public, then he risks, and really all edge rushers and people who make a living off getting back to the quarterback, Losing, you know, I don't want to say livelihood. I mean, TJ's making a zillion dollars, so I don't want to make it sound like he's going to, you know, end up, you know, living under a bridge or something. But it is the impact that he has on the game for his team. Sacks can be an excessively superficial stat, but they matter to those guys, as do QB hits and QB hurries and tackles for losses and everything else that comes with an effective edge rusher. If the other guys are allowed to cheat, and that's what it is, it's cheating, that's a very real problem. For those who don't know exactly what it is that I'm talking about, Chicago had guys, and this couldn't have been more obvious. You know, the press box is a good what, 250 feet away from the field at Heinz Field? And and you could see it plain as day from up there without even using the binocs. They would begin to move and create just enough of an apprehension on TJ's part or the other edge, Alex Highsmith's part, that it would throw them off. Now, TJ still had a monster game, and that's part of the beauty about complaining at a certain time, because he doesn't sound like sour grapes. He had three sacks. His team won the game. He had a whole bunch of other stuff in that game as well. Here it is in full, by the way. This is the entire exchange between TJ and me, including you'll hear a a follow-up question that I throw in there as well. It helps when the tackles are getting out uh, half a second early every play. Uh, I I don't know what's going on with that. Um, seems like the tackles are leaving early on every single down, and we really can't do anything about it, so the home field advantage is kind of dead. So um, I'm, I don't know what, what to do about that. That's also That always makes it a lot tougher for a pass rusher. Um, Got to find ways to overcome. So when you see it, though, and it, it, it's pretty obvious when this happens, I mean, do you call out attention to the guys that are, that are calling the game? I, it's, I, I try to, tell, to, to let the officials know, and um, that's really all I can do. This portion of Daily Shot of Steelers is brought to you by Point Park University. Choose from nearly 100 career-focused programs leading to bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees. Choose when and how you'd prefer to do that studying, whether it's at Point Park's gorgeous downtown Pittsburgh campus, whether it's online, maybe a flexible hybrid format that's somewhere between the two. Learn more about all of this at Point Park. 
Edu. I'll tell you what worries me. It's that the Chicago game wasn't isolated. I would say that in watching and covering all of these games, home and road, in person, where you're not stuck with watching whatever it is that the camera's showing you, and I focus a lot on line play, I would say that probably half of the Steelers' opponents have done this. None as egregiously as the Bears. And I guess to some extent you can credit the officials Monday night by acknowledging that at least they did throw a bunch of flags. I mean, there there were lots of flags on Chicago. There just weren't enough. So the Bears, I'm sure made a conscious decision to say, listen, we'll take some flags. We're not going to get destroyed by T.J. Watt. But I'd say that half of their opponents have done this. Willfully flouting a rule and doing it again and again and again and again and not really worried about the repercussion. It reminds me, in a way, of when Joe Flacco was in Baltimore and he would work toward all those DPIs. Remember that? It was the DPI pass play where Flacco would just drop back and heave one up in the air and the receiver would take some kind of spill 30, 40 yards downfield. And if they got the flag, great. If they didn't, whatever. There's no punishment. There's no harm. It was, it was a deliberate attempt to get defensive pass interference called because those are chunk plays in and of themselves. And all it takes is three or four of those in a game to have a very real impact. That's kind of how this feels. I know this isn't as sexy a subject as Cassius Marsh and the taunting and whatever because it's a rule that's new and some like it and some don't and whatever else here. And there's drama involved and a storyline. But this is a way bigger deal. Because... My fear, to get back to that, is that it might be another way, yet another way, that the NFL is protecting quarterbacks. And I'm not going to get into, you know, this and that about how quarterbacks, you know, should be allowed to get creamed and slaughtered and whatever else here. Uh, You know, as someone who was completely okay with Minka Fitzpatrick's hit on Justin Fields the other night. Why? Because Fields came out from the backfield. He's a runner. He was a runner. He tucked the ball away and he was going. That doesn't mean you can take a hit to the head or anything like that, but it it does mean you can be tackled. You can be tackled with authority. You can get hit. The bigger worry here, certainly from the Pittsburgh perspective, is that you'd lose a vital component who you are if this is in fact some kind of you know under the table decree by somebody at league offices like let's not worry so much about uh, false starts and uh, lining up a certain way or whatever why because it's helping to preserve the quarterbacks who are making 25 or 30 million dollars a year I hope that's not the case because Part of what makes football great remains defense. 
And there's nothing, I guess, other than you know a, a pick six, but there's nothing that's more dramatic in football from a defensive standpoint than the sack. And there are stars recording sacks, too. TJ's just one of them. But if you go back over the history of football, defensive linemen, in particular guys who blitz and record sacks, are stars, too. And this isn't asking that they're afforded any special rights. Actually, it's the exact opposite. They want to make sure that the other side isn't being afforded those rights. So you'll notice that when I played the exchange, when I asked TJ, hey, are you saying something about this? And he kind of started to back off a little bit. Like, I think that was when, and this happens a lot, by the way, whenever athletes will talk about something that's even remotely officiating related, they'll feel comfortable talking about it right up until the follow-up. And when they realize, oh, wait a second, what am I doing here? I'm going to get fined or we're going to end up being cast as this or that, maybe even by the officials themselves, and you kind of back off a little bit. I hope that the Steelers on the field, regardless of what they're saying to me or any other reporter, I hope that when they're on the field, they're filling the stripes ears nonstop. Watch that guy over there. Watch 65. He's moving constantly. Watch him, watch him, watch him. Look, there he goes. He did it again. Did you see it? How did you miss that? That's what you need to be doing through the game. That's what you need to be doing. There's no greater impact that can be had on influencing the officials than doing stuff like that. And the Steelers need to be doing it like from the very opening series of their game Sunday against the Lions. When we come back, just one question. for just one question and pause has our j1q for the day he asks the bears exposed flaws in the offensive line and pass defense however do you agree that the game would not have been as close if not for the muffed punt that gifted the bears a touchdown i'm not glossing over the concerns they're serious and must be addressed however the steelers have flaws like every team in the afc that are further exacerbated when a team turns the ball over pause of course I mean, you know the answer to this. Of course the game wouldn't have been as close if Ray Ray McLeod hadn't fumbled there. The reason that the Ray Ray fumble gets underscored the way that it does, and I'm not talking about the outside here. I'm talking about on the inside. The reason that Mike Tomlin is going to mention that before anything else, the reason that I can guarantee you Tomlin is storming around South Water Street dropping F-bombs in every which direction related to Ray Ray McLeod is because coaches see that as a controllable variable. They don't always see it with a mistake in, let's say, a judgment like, you know, Ben not making the right read on a route tree uh, or Najee Harris zigging when he should have zagged, or even a defensive player missing an assignment. They see fumbles as being something they can manage. And when you look at the way Ray Ray fielded that ball, 
all he had to do was go down, and it's one of the things they stress to you again and again and again and again in those situations. Just catch the ball, and don't lose it. We'll, we'll deal with whatever three or four extra yards you would have given up in the process. We can handle that. We can't handle losing a possession and seven points. That's what makes them crazy. Not just Danny Smith, who's already crazy, but the head coach as well. And really everybody associated with the team. Because that's something that you're conditioned to do constantly. Constantly. When Ray Ray started as the as the main and now only kick returner on the team, that was the only point of emphasis. And I'm telling you this as someone you know who's been at practices and training camp. It's the only point of emphasis. I mean, the rest of it's nice, but it's all gravy. And you can basically see that in his approach to the returns. How often have you seen him take some kind of really high-risk maneuver in the returns where he's going right up a gut and you know, risking getting, you know, completely clobbered. Now he's kind of going side to side. He's looking for a place where he can go, and then he goes down. And it's never very exciting, is it? Well, this was exciting, and just not the good kind. I don't think, pause, that this is something that should distract, however, from the other things that you mentioned. The Bears did expose flaws in the offensive line. I don't know that they exposed flaws in the pass defense as much as they did the scheme that Tomlin and Keith Butler assigned, which I completely hated. But I definitely agree with you that they exposed flaws in the offensive line. I don't think that has anything to do with Ray Ray's fumble. And I, if you're getting into what counts for the biggest point of blame, that's one of my least favorite lines of conversation when it comes to sports. What did you think was to blame for this? Well, a whole bunch of things. You know, when the team loses, it's it's very rarely one thing. But everybody wants to just pick the one thing and talk about the one thing. If they had lost, everyone would have been talking about Ray Ray's fumble. There's no doubt about that. I mean, heck, they also could have been talking about a point after try that was missed earlier on. I, I just don't. I don't like doing that. I appreciate the question, pause. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Steelers. Let's do another one tomorrow, setting up the Sunday game against Detroit. 